And we are back. We are back. Welcome to Match Point number nine, a Tennis Bets podcast. I am one of three hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at MP9Tennis on Twitter, Instagram, and now TikTok. Yes, that's right. I'm a, an old man who created a TikTok. I bit the bullet, folks. I got to figure out how to use it, though. Hopefully, one of my two co-hosts here will will help me out. With me, as always, is my number one tennis talking bro, Derek. Derek, hello. Hey, what's up, everybody? Um, I'm in all right spirits. Just all right. Um, my LA Kings just totally biffed it the other night after uh, surrendering a three-goal first period lead and then lost in overtime. But um, you know what? I'm all right with it because I got tennis. And also because the Kings, in recent memory, have won two cups. So I'm able to cope with that. But um, I think somebody else on this podcast also watches hockey yes our, our third host here I, I think we were just able to get him out of the pub uh, from still celebrating last night's inconceivable comeback win by the toronto maple leafs mr john reed is here you can find him at jared tweets tennis he does betting content for his own brand tidbits tennis he writes for the action network betting expert hammer hq he does tennis form recaps and he is coming on elated he's got the leafs flag in the background john how you doing man I mean, we've been on the other end of that in Toronto. We we experienced that 4-1 lead blown with 10 minutes left. We'd done that 10 years ago, so Austin. that was nice. Series isn't over yet. I mean, I know we're still... It's going to be Max Payne when they blow this series, but I don't give two hoots. That was unreal. I can't believe they might actually win a series for the first time in my since I was literally in middle school. So uh, we're close, and I'm happy. And don't think that two-cups remark did not go unnoticed. <laughs> well live it up man because um i've never seen it in my lifetime either john won last night with his team he did a lot of winning last week as well this is a betting podcast so we like to be transparent about what we talked about and it's unfortunately been a little bit of time since we were on the mics we had a good three episode week with monte carlo last week we only had one pod probably only one pod this week uh, i am moving so it's uh, bogging us down a bit. The most joyful thing in life, uh, moving. Hopefully, I'll get to watch some of this tennis this week. But I won't be. I won't be as routine on the mic as I would like to be. Uh, we will be back next week though with a, a special guest. Will be great, and we will talk betting then. Let's talk more betting now in a segment we call "What Did We Win? What Did We Learn?" Well. In Barcelona, we said if Carlitos was healthy, he would win this thing. Guess what? He did. Not exactly a hard call, but we didn't get cute. And we backed him. John, you did have Sitsipas 8-1 to one, uh, outright. Did you hedge it all? No, I, there's just no room. The problem with the reason why you get these nice prices for Pass, and I had Sabalenka and Stuttgart too, was because they were on the opposite end of the draw from Iga and Carlos. The problem is you get those prices because it becomes so hard to hedge in those head-to-head spots. Like they're just such massive dogs. It, it, you need a lead. You need a bit of a lead. I needed, if Pass had have gotten some sort of early break, I would have been able to. But even then I was on the road. I drove 17 hours in two days at the end of the week and across the weekend. So I don't even think I would have been able to, to get a hedge in unless I you know got illegal and looked down on my phone while I'm driving it. 110 kilometers 120 kilometers an hour on a highway so it wasn't it wasn't possible but i'm happy i thought those prices were nice for for players on the opposite end and if i could have had one of those two players potentially uh lose along the way i'd probably get a uh, a nice outright winner but we move on well you did have steph at plus 125 to win his quarter which yeah, cash that did, yeah. uh, my that was nori, hedge, essentially my nori call was a loser for his quarter frustrating because we did get the center walkover that we talked about uh, with him potentially pulling out playing a lot of tennis uh, Musetti got that walkover. I backed scam Nori, as some call him. 
<laughs> he was only up a set and had multiple break opportunities in the second set. It's fine. It's fine. A match play wins. We got a few of those. Talked up Philly Lopez versus David Guffin. Plus 150 to win a set and over two and a half sets at over plus 200. Cash both those thanks to a second set tie break. John laid the three and three and a half with Diego Schwartzman versus Wu Yabing. Cash it. We talked a slight lean in the Kachin Bruver match with laying the three with Kachin. That cashed. Match play losses, though. Even though we correctly called Nuno winning only four games, which was amazing that we actually called the correct number of games. And we said he'd really get there by breaking back what he did in the first set uh, but because he did so in the first set this first set went over and we talked about set one unders there we did mention a breadstick uh, bet which did come in in the second set over in munich talked about runa and fritz being the class of this tournament and one half of that duo knew that got there holger runa fends off bodic who served for the match three times to repeat his champ bodic beat fritz in the semis to get there i talked up Giron as a potential dark horse and he did make it to the quarters but lost to Bodic. Uh, BVDZ bounces back after early exits in Marrakesh. And Monte Carlo, respectable loss to Rudin there as well. Match play wins. Talked up Chris O'Connell over Ugo as a slight dog. Cash it. Sinego a pick over Halis. Cash it. John had some barking dogs and they cashed with uh, Rayberg. Yeah, we had we had Rayberg with the sets or the overs. Yeah. Uh, Richard cashing as a huge mm. dog versus Struff. And then we talked up Ata on the money line, which did come in, but we also talked up the over two and a half sets, which lost. And John's other dog pick with Marco Topo, he got the early break, but couldn't get it done against Skarin, couldn't get a set or the cover. Over in Bonnie Luca, we did a peripheral talk in this tournament as we ran out of time. One name we didn't talk about was Dusan Lajevic, who won the whole damn thing. He beat Derek's pick at plus 450, Andre Rublev. I assume you did not hedge. I actually saw you uh, before that match. Did you hedge at all on that, Derek? I only put a half unit down, so no, I did not hedge. I had like, what was it, 450 or something? <laughs> so it wasn't too bad. It just like a half unit bet. I was just like, just going to let it ride. Man, I shouldn't have done that, but oh well. Uh, no regrets. I backed Alex Molchan, who had a good week getting into the semis before he posted he was tired. Um, so he kind of tipped his hand that he might <laughs> might be done against Rublev. I tweeted to hedge. Uh, he was 40 to 1. Um, so we, we had a 40 to 1 ticket into the semis. Uh, pretty solid there. We mentioned backing Luca Vanash at plus 200 or higher to win a set versus Novak. And it was around plus 260. So cash that. Uh, and then the only real glaring loss, John's pick of Coria. He retired in the first match, so tanked for you, John. Right away, Albot, Clay Goat. <laughs> Albot then, of course, went on to famously get completely trounced by Lashka in the next match. Which game. I had money on, too. I found a plus 155 on a Lashka minus five. I was like, oh, market's a plus 120. Give me that plus 155. I'm in. Screw this guy. I still don't believe in him. Then I found out he's an Arsenal fan. Like, he commented all these Arsenal posts. I'm like, damn it, Radu. I can't hate you anymore, man. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of uh, commenting on posts i saw someone did a little screen grab going through dusan lajovic's tweets and he liked like a million selena gomez tweets <laughs> so he's apparently a, a big selena fan which i thought was pretty funny and random uh all right guys well that was last week let's move on to this week a big 1000 event in madrid we're in spain so let's talk a little tournament overview here. This 1000 event has been around since 2002 when it started as a hardcore event before turning to clay in 2009. It even went blue clay in 2012, which is how Roger Federer has won this event on three types of surfaces. 
Carlitos Alcaraz is the defending champion, beating Novak and Nadal en route to the final, where he beat Sasha Zverev 6-3, 6-1. That was an awesome... That was awesome, by the way. I remember that last year. I think the line was nowhere near. I think it was like three and a half or four or something. It was something stupid. It was like, oh, he's going to crush this guy. And he did. It was great. Zverev beat Berrettini in three the year before for the 2021 title. Other recent champs include Djokovic in 2019, Zverev won in 2018, Nadal, Djokovic, Andy Murray in 2015. And then the big three dominated this pretty much. The big headline here for this tournament are the conditions. The big servers should succeed. This is from an article uh, by Tennis Head in 2021. Madrid is around 667 meters above sea level. This means the ball travels faster through the air in Madrid is also a bit livelier off the court. This makes big servers, big hitters more effective, and they are able to hit through the court more than on clay courts at sea level. Players will have less chance to get themselves into points on return here. John, do you want to talk about this a little bit? Yeah, it's why you've seen, right, Rafa, Rafa has still won this a ton of times. Like, he just hasn't won it the 13 or 14 times that he's won, like Roland Garros, Monte Carlo, and Rome. And that kind of it, that's kind of a testament to the fact that he is a little bit more beatable. Like, he can't... He can still, sorry, he still grinds you down, but it, it can, a good serving day and a good redlining day by one good player can stump him, right? Iga Svantec, I think, skipped this event last year. I don't know. I think it was a planned scheduling thing. It might have been an injury issue, but you can see that the players that like that heavy spin and that are just unstoppable on slow clay courts where they just dominate you with athleticism, spin, uh, and, and they do have aggression to their game as well, they're a little more susceptible uh, in Madrid. So worth noting, within this draw of course i think carlos won it last year and his serve is actually going to play up the week the weaker part of his game which hasn't been that week this year it's kind of scary to think that he's probably going to do it again but um it's worth noting guys like felix might have a little bit more uh fun here than than they would in rome or at roland garros guys like uh her catch someone like sissy pass with his natural comfort for clay and the serve i mean certain names are going to be worth watching uh when we get into the the kind of draw breakdown and outright talk yeah, Isner has had success in the past. You mentioned FAA. He beat Sinner here last year, which I think is worth noting. Uh, you mentioned Nadal. He's only won this four times. He's noted uh, himself that this is his least successful event uh, on clay. He has got about a 4% dip uh, on return points here compared to his other clay tournaments. That's a little bit of the conditions here. The Weather-wise, we're going to be in the mid to high 80s, going to be 90 on Friday. So it's going to be hot and physical for these guys. While the points might be shorter, I mean, it's still going to be a lot of work in that heat, slight winds like we've been seeing week to week, uh, but no rain as of now. So, I mean, we definitely, even though the points will be shorter, I don't think we can toss out the physical nature of the matches uh, on the horizon. So keep that in mind. You want guys that aren't complete duds. Ha have some endurance. It uh, might be tough for Holger Runa, who was already cramping up in the final last week in Munich. Uh, he's been playing a lot as well. Keep that in mind. All right, let's talk some outrights here. Uh, DraftKings is where I'm pulling these from. All right, overall winner, Carlitos is the favorite at minus 110. Pass is the second favorite at 10 to 1. So a pretty heavy favorite here with Alcaraz, uh, rightfully so. Medvedev is 12 to 1, which is, this should be a clay event that he could have some success. Zverev is 16 to 1, despite his lacking play i mean he just got bounced out of his home tournament or his home country tournament runa 20 to 1 faa 28 to 1 fritz 35 to 1 musetti 35 to 1 rude 35 to 1 so musetti has played his way back up into the conversation here nori 35 to 1 wow rublev 35 to 1 so we got a whole bucket of guys at 35 to 1 Chanoff at 50 to 1 hubie at 50 to 1 
Dolo. Wow, we got another whole bucket here. Kubi, Achanov, Dolo, Demonor, Fokina, all 50 to 1. And then there's a pretty significant tier break with Jari, Laheshka, Dimitrov, Tiafo, Team at 65. So they've kind of, unlike a lot of tournaments, they've kind of tiered these guys at uh, the same odds, which is kind of interesting. Is there anyone that's really going to threaten Alcaraz at this tournament? I think the only guy that can beat Alcaraz really uh, is Djokovic and himself. Those are the two people that can be Carlitos. But any value on any of these, these long shots? If if we do get a, a an Alcaraz injury, I mean, anytime you hear something like a, something's wrong with his spine, which he mentioned not that long ago in the past, uh, there is some question of what will happen. But obviously, I think if he's healthy, he, he probably will win. But uh, John, any thoughts on the outrights? Yeah, I mean, I did it last week. I'm going to do it again, man. Like, we're on clay. Stefano Sitsi passes a 9-1 to one to win this tournament. Again, same as last week in Barcelona. You're telling me Djokovic isn't involved. You're telling me we're on clay. You're telling me he's in the other half of the draw from Alcaraz. And you're giving him a 10% chance to win this event. I'm going to play it again. I mean, I understand that he's he's priced out there because Alcaraz is such a dominant favorite. I get that, sure. And Alcaraz deserves to be up in that 40 to 50% range. I, I, I don't even really disagree with it that much. I just think that the remaining percentage points, as you spread them out with the rest of the field, I don't think Steph should only be getting a 10% chance to win here. His quarter is not that tough. Like, I'm looking through Felix, maybe poses problems if he can serve lights out. Tiafo, Tommy Paul, Sarundolo, like, Fran Serundolo. I'm just not loving a lot of these guys' chances to take him out. Sabita Baez is, is in his little section there, and, you know, he's a quality clay quarter, but altitude and power, like, uh, clay that rewards more power is not where Baez is probably going to have the most success. And the nice part about Pass is he's comfortable on the clay. Yes, his backhand can be rushed here more than Roland Garros, Rome, Monte Carlo, but he's got weapons of his own that are also going to get a boost in these conditions. And I'd, I'd almost rather have Pass here than in Barcelona against Alcaraz because he can find more cheat points and keep himself closer uh, against Carlos here than he would be able to on slower clay. So I, I am going to hope for Andre Rublev maybe to have a lights out serve forehand kind of day. Maybe Carlos gets tired or maybe, you know, has picks up uh, a knock along the way that by the final is really bothering him and I can get Pass into that final. But I do think at nine to one, if I liked him at eight to one last week, I still like him at nine to one this week. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not hating that at all. It's like if you watch Carlos, the only way it seemingly you could beat that guy is to make sure he doesn't hit the ball. <laughs> so, I mean, with Sitsi Pasa serve and everything like that, it's like it's you got to get some free points. So I think that's a good way to go um, at 10 to one. And then I, I don't really hate Faye leaks too much just because he also has a serve. I'm just thinking about people that could possibly beat Carlos, but I mean, he's sit at 28 to one and he'd also have to get through Sitsi So if you're looking at a future um, and an outright, I would, yeah, I would lean Sitsi Paso. I'm probably not going to play it, but I, I don't hate that pick at all. Well, if you like Sitsi Paso, what, what about this? I was looking at the, the finalist market, which I is something we don't really talk about, but I, I, it's, it's kind of juicy. I mean, an Alcaraz, Sitsi Pass Exacta is plus 850. You might want a little bit longer, but that's, I mean, we can talk rollover. Uh, I, I don't know what kind of value you'll have on the yeah. rollover for Alcaraz, but Sitsi Pass might, might offer something, but I, I don't hate that. The quarter price is going to come out, and I'll probably be on that again. Last week, after one day of playing the plus 125, I don't even think Steph had played yet because he had a, a buy. He dropped, I think, to 
even money. So I knew that plus 125 was off. I was happy to grab it. He's plus 400 to reach the final right now. I think he, like Daniil Medvedev, is the only guy in this draw, I think, that would really keep him close to, like, a, as a, to, to, that would be a short underdog against him. I'm not seeing, like, Edmund or team, he's going to be a monster favorite against. Same goes for Jerome, Borges, or Baez. Evans, McDonald's, Zapata Miralles, Hari, Qualifier, Tommy Paul. I just don't see a name in his quarter other than Felix that keeps him remotely close or that keeps him from being a monster favorite in that in the head-to-head matchup. So I don't even know if the rollover would necessarily get to plus 400. I, I don't mind that number on him to reach the final. The exacta at plus 850, then I mean... That could also be a, a a decent option because I don't think Alcaraz's rollover is going to be great either. I, I I'll have to really sit down and, and figure that out. But I don't hate those kinds of derivatives either to try and build up some some like tickets in your portfolio that reward you for City Pass doing well because I do think he's mispriced here. He's plus one fifty for the quarter. That is again like mm. I think there might be an extra match to play this week compared to Barcelona. If I'm not wrong, I think there is, but. That plus 150 means he wins this quarter 40% of the time. And now you have to go through every other player, assign them percentages to win this quarter, and total it to get past 40% for me not to like that play. I suppose the rollover might actually be a better look from the quarter than the to reach the final market, to be honest. I'd have to do all the kind of calculation, but I do think that quarter price uh, is value as a standalone. You might be better off with the rollover there because plus 150 doesn't, it doesn't take a whole hell of a lot to get there with uh second round, third round, fourth round and quarter match. Yeah. You get four rollover money lines, probably going to get there anyway. But I mean, there's a lot of ways to attack Steph here that I think uh, are worthwhile. Let's talk about Daniil Medvedev for a minute, because on these courts that are going to reward our quarters a little bit more than than normal for a clay season. I mean, his path is pretty pretty good. I mean, we talked about this with Miami, where I was trying to fade him, and you guys were like, "Wait, wait, wait! Like, <laughs> look at who's in front of him." I mean, we're kind of in that situation again. I mean, Laheshka. I mean, he could play Andy Murray, which could you know maybe Murray games up, and he's kind of a wild card. But I, I think he probably beats Andy Murray. He probably beats Laheshka, and then his Demonor Bodic. I mean, Cam Norrie and Shapo are the the guys at the above that. Medvedev is uh, a real threat here to get get pretty deep in this. And I know it's a little chalky, but man, I mean, I don't know that we can just fade Med here because it's clay. Yeah, agreed. Now, what about Mister Fritz? Loses in the semis to Bodic last week, but you know what? Munich was kind of cold and not really great for for the SoCal boy. Um, it's going to be a little bit different here. It's going to play up uh, with a serve. I think Fritz is pretty live to make a run here. I mean, he's going to have Kashmanovich, who, you know, he lost to him in Miami last year, but I think he's got a couple wins against him since, or he's beat him since. Um, Kashmanovich, I think, is a fraud clay quarter. I, I don't really like him. Chapo, obviously, is around in this bracket, and then Nori uh, as well. But I guess for me, like, the question with Nori is, was his golden swing su- success his clay success for this year? I-, I was kind of viewing it like that could that prepped him for clay season, but I kind of think maybe that was it for Cam Nori on clay for twenty twenty three. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, like I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah, you can go. I'm I'm just not a fan of him on clay. Is all I was going to say. Really, like that. It's he doesn't have. The weaponry to get through the surface. His backhand is a little too flat. He's starting to get the movement down, but 
he's kind of stuck in between where he has some shots and, and the movement and the athleticism and the grinding ability that are positive on the clay, but then there's still too many weaknesses and he doesn't have really a weapon to get to hit through the slower surface. So he's kind of almost in no man's land still. The golden swing's the golden swing. Like he beat a banged up Alcaraz. That was impressive. Alcaraz was also doing one of his unforced error matches even before the injury. And he, I mean, it's the golden swing. He can't, I, I can't really put a ton of stock into it. So yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to be out on Cam Nori for a lot of clay season too. I mean, we didn't have very much faith of him starting clay. And then he played those clay events instead of the hardcore events. And that was a little curious. And even though he did win one, it's like he won one against Alcaraz. And Alcaraz was hurt at that one, too. And then he played against Alcaraz in the final and the one previous to that, and he lost. But those events were pretty watered down, too, clay-wise, because a lot of good players were playing hard courts at that um, during those weeks. So don't take too much from that. I mean, yeah, he did win one, but yeah, I, I wouldn't take too much from that. So I wouldn't say it's clay season's necessarily over. But yeah, no, I, I'm not putting his head out there. You know what I'm thinking of? Honestly, I, I legitimately cannot believe I'm going to say this, but he's an all quarter. If he can keep the point shorter in the altitude, you know, stay away from his typical error stuff. Do you know where I'm going with this? I can't believe I'm going to say this. It might be a Dennis Shapovalov week. You know those random weeks where he just explodes for a quarterfinal appearance out of nowhere at a big event after having terrible results and looking like dog poo-poo for a while? Yeah, I mean, plus 1,400. I, I don't hate a very small wager on that. I don't. And I, I hate I hate myself for saying that more than I hate the wager. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I am thoroughly unhappy with myself for saying those words or uttering those words. But I, I do. I think that. Dennis Shapovalov plus 1400 crazy as it sounds he has clay pedigree went to the quarters in Rome last year the altitude might help him keep points short he's got the talent athleticism and weapons to potentially beat Medvedev if he can drag him into a long match or Medvedev starts to get frustrated and then pretends it's the clay court's fault and not the fact that Dennis is playing well you never know if, if that could help I, I, I do think 1400 is a big price on Dennis Shapovalov here especially considering like Kachmat like Cam Nori is a t like Alex Demonauer is shorter. Christian Garin is shorter than Denis Shapovalov. Denis Shapovalov is more talented, has more weapons um, than both of those guys, and in addition to that, he is better on clay for my money than Alex Demonauer. He's not great on clay. He's not a clay quarter, but he's an all quarter. His game can transcend surfaces. He's had success uh, before in like individual samples on the dirt. So yeah, I'm gonna go. With, I think Denis Shapovalov plus fourteen hundred. Very small, like small wager. Nothing crazy. But I think that's worth a look. I'm pointing to the sign, never Shapo. But uh, <laughs> I actually think you're 100% onto something there, though. John, uh, good looking out. I, I kind of like, speaking of the 14 to 1, Fritz to make the final at 14 to 1 is is not not terrible to me. Especially, you know, if Medvedev gets tripped up along the way. Shapo, even though we did just talk him up, he also is very stinky. Scam. Cam <laughs> Nori is uh, his name rhymes with scam, so <laughs> there's that. I kind of like that, and then also too, I was looking at the finalists: Fritz Alcaraz, twenty-eight to one, Exacta. Uh, it's not terrible. I, I want to talk. The quarter we haven't talked about yet is the Runa Rude quarter. I kind of like Davidovich Velkina to maybe do something with his life here. This is pretty wide open. I mean, Rude has been pretty unimpressive. Musetti is trending up, but can you really trust him? Busta is back on the scene, but we don't know what we're going to get from him. And then Runa, I'm 
I'm operating under a rune of fade because I, I think yeah. that he's going to, I just feel like he's going to get hurt or do something or I don't know, cramp up. He's going to, he's, I'm just operating under fading Runa here. So if we get Fokina kind of deep here, her cash is who he's going to have to play to reach the quarter. I mean, he can beat Hubie. They are but in the outright Hubie market. Hubie can serve his way through too. So I, I think you should do both. Yeah. A little fo- folky QB action. I kind of like, yeah, you're right. I like both those guys uh, to, to reach, to potentially reach the quarterfinal here. I think that that, like, I look at this and I see the most open quarter because your top two seeds, Runa has played a ton, looked like he was really close to physically breaking down in that Munich final. And then you've got Rude, who just hasn't looked like himself, or at least hasn't looked like the Rude of, of years past this year. I'm not sold on either of those guys. And, and Hubie has the serve that, that, you know, he's he's starting to show a bit more grind on the clay too, even though he's not winning matches. Like he doesn't look completely lost on the dirt. And the serve is gonna play here. I don't hate a look at Hubie Hercatch. He's also got a very nice section, right? Gasquet or Landaluce, the very, very talented junior from Spain, very manageable second round. Then either Gaston Chardy or Borna Chorich. That's a really nice path to the fourth round. Then he has to play either Runa or David Davidovich Fokina. He won't have to play both. Right again. That's the advantage of having a nice little section here, where Chorch is the other C that with the buy in that like sixteenth of the draw, whatever it is, thirty second of the draw. I think Herkach has a nice path now. If he has to play both Runa and Rude, we have to see the prices. They're not up right now at, at DraftKings. It's the only quarter that doesn't have a, a posted price, so it's all price dependent, of course. But if you're gonna get like you know seven eight to one on her catch. I would assume he'll be the third favorite at best. You have to have Rune and Rude as the, your top two, so he's going to have a, a half-decent number there. Might be something worth looking at as well. What do you think about Ben Shelton making a little run here? I mean, this is where Isner succeeded in the past. He's got an Isner-like serve. He's going to play Sinego or a qualifier. I remember correctly. Isner pass, said though. that his favorite court in the entire world is that Arancho Sanchez court. He said that the way that the roof's cut out at the top, it's like a rectangular shape and he said like the way that the breeze comes in it really helps out the serve it like gets behind the ball so i don't know I, i'm thinking like maybe look out for shelton on that specific court it's a good tip i remember that uh isner does have a, a favorite court there which one was it again and a rancho sanchez court it's gonna be a fun week here all right i'm gonna do a final thought here on that city quarter here i mean if you really look at it the only <laughs> his quarter is pretty bad I know this is like trending up for hard quarters, but it is still clay. I mean, the only real clay quarters are Dolo and Baez. I mean, two guys he should beat. (laughs) Then it's FAA, Shelton, Tiafo, Evans. Plus 150 for the quarter. If he loses this, he should go run laps after the match. (laughs) There's literally no one that should beat him. And he looked good in Barcelona, man. Like... Yeah, he lost to Alcaraz, but uh, that's Carlos freaking Alcaraz. It was three and four. Musetti got a set from him, but I, I think he was the better player throughout, honestly. And he crushed Demonor Shapovalov Kachin. Like, it, he was just really strong. I only watched, I think, two and a half of those matches. Uh, again, I was on the road for the Musetti match, but I watched some highlights and it looked like he was in control. Like, he, he was very, very good in Barcelona. The Fritz match is the one match where he hasn't looked great during this clay court run but other than that he was decent against Alcaraz it's Carlos freaking Alcaraz and then he was strong in all his other matches I I think the form is there for for Pass. I don't think there's a form concern at this point after last week 
just really odd. Uh, yeah, well, also been pretty honest uh, about where he's at with his game over the last six weeks on the calendar. I mean, you talked about being hurt, probably wasn't going to win, and article just dropped an hour ago, considers himself a contender for this tournament. So he's in a good mental space uh, as well. All right, guys. Well, let's pivot into some round one bets here. We got a lot uh, on the slate, and uh, I can kick it off with with mine if you want. Get it going here, and that is David Goffin money line at plus one forty one versus RCB here, and the over twenty one and a half. Goffin has been bad. Talked earlier about how we faded him a little versus Feli Lopez, which cashed. Feli got the set at tiebreak, uh, and part of the reason he's been bad has been a knee injury. But I think this is a major overvaluation of RCB's Marrakesh title. And he followed that up with a three-set loss to Marcos Giron in Munich. So not even the week after, can't even say it was fatigue. Just straight-up loss to an American on clay. Uh, Goffin made the quarterfinals here in 2017. He won four matches here last year and almost beat an inform Rafa for being the clay player. Goffin has over 80 more play ELO points, according to Tennis Abstract, than his opponent here. He beat RCB last year at Marrakesh. Uh, the conditions should suit Goffin more. Too much to like here for the Goffin side. I really like this uh, this play and and maybe a little insurance in, in case you know Goffin does have a dip in level with the low total here. Maybe he gets it out in three, the over 21 and a half. John, what do you think? I think I'm still pissed off at David Goffin for losing to Yoshinishioka after a prolonged absence and on a clay court last week, but can't disagree. I think Goffin's form hasn't been great. We know that since returning from an injury that he sustained in February, lost badly to Schwartzman, needed three sets to beat Philly Lopez, which wasn't all that impressive, and then loses to Nishioka. That said, I don't think that makes him a like substan- a, a relatively substantial underdog against RCB. Carbias Bayan in his own right has been in pretty awful form. You can t- that you can take the Marrakesh title where he played Dan Evans on clay, needed three sets. Talon Greekspor, who had been pretty erratic, uh, who has been pretty erratic of late. Dimitar Kuzminov, he only played two games against before he got the retirement. He needed three sets against Maxime Cressy, and he did, he he was in trouble in the final against Alexandre Muller, a challenger player. Show me the great win there that makes you say, okay, he's back in form. And you mentioned the Jerome loss. There's altitude in, in Munich. There's not enough altitude to justify losing a 6-1 and a 6-2 set to Marcos Jerome on clay. That's a bad, bad loss, right? I, I just, his, his only win since the golden swing outside of Marrakesh, by the way, was against Zapata Miralles, who retired love six, love three down, was just physically incapable of playing in Miami. That's his only win that was not in Marrakesh since Santiago at the end of February. His form has been pretty poor in its own right. And like you said, there's a lot that does go for Goffin. He can dictate more. He's still got an all-court game, so he's not incompetent on clay. He's got, you know, the bigger game that plays up more in this altitude Carbias Banda doesn't have any weapons that play up. There's too much to like here for, for Gofana Madrid uh, relative to Carbias Baena. And uh, I mean, I'm just going to fade the pusher that's in that's in pretty poor form, to be honest. And he's getting hit hit off the court everywhere but Marrakesh. My other bet here, Chris O'Connell money line versus Philip Kranovich. The money line is at minus 114. O'Connell kind of has it rolling this clay season uh, for being a hard court guy. Eight and three record since the surface change between the main tour and the split challenger that he played. And that includes Munich semis last week. Uh, meanwhile, the Serbian only has three main draw wins this entire 2023 season and nine losses. He's 0-2 here in his career at Madrid. O'Connell making his Madrid debut on the main tour, but he did play 
here last year at the challenger level where he picked up two wins. I think it's going to be a competitive match. The more natural Clay Porter having a shot and Kranovich after two competitive matches against uh, Lajovic and RBA. But I'll take the Australian at pick to keep it rolling. I'll stay in the O'Connell Flames. Uh, versus the Serbian getting a spark here. So I'm going to go oppo here, but it's not opposite where I think we can both win. I'm taking the Krajinovic first set money line for a couple reasons. First, the physicality edge here, it's a monster one for Chris O'Connell, right? This is a match that screams to me. Krajinovic, I think, has a bit more weaponry. I think he's a bit more natural on clay. I think he has a bit of an edge here in Madrid. Like he, his losses were to Yoshi and to Isner. Isner was seven six six four. Like that's a, a pretty close match against a serve bot in altitude. I can forgive that. But I do think that again, Chris O'Connell, if he can grind out a, a you know a, a forty five minute first set and then win the second, if he loses the first, that third set is a huge edge to Chris O'Connell. Massive. Because Krajinovic has not looked good this year. He's dropped off in the second set a ton after long first sets. He's been hampered, whether by injury or by just lack of fitness. Doesn't matter. But the fact is, he's got a bit more weaponry. I do think he is the better clay quarter. And here's the other thing for me. Usually you get like, you know, plus 130, your first set money line to be like plus 100. Here it goes from plus 102 to minus 102. That is a very, very cheap price to pay to take the first set money line over the actual money line. I don't think Krajinovich wins this in three if he loses the first. I don't even think he wins this if he wins the first all that often. I think there's there's a much better chance, and the percentages favor him to win the first set, uh, where my break-even price is about 50.2, 50.3% versus my break-even point being 40, 49.8% on the overall money line. I think there's far more chance, um, a far greater chance that he wins the first and still loses the match than, than loses the first and wins the match. I think that makes the first set money line, if you like Krajinovic, the way to go here. Well, those are two I have jotted down here. John, what do you have on your card? Okay. Um, so for the stuff going on Tuesday, I wanted to play. I actually wanted to play Shardy, believe it or not. But he's only played the Australian Open, and he's like plus 250 against Gaston. Like, I did, or plus 265, the best price to market. I'm stunned he's getting that much credit. I was hoping for like a plus 400. I thought maybe like that serve could eke out. Um, like a, an upset there in the altitude. I thought also that would bring a lower o- number for an over that I wanted to get involved with, but I'm not going anywhere near that. Emilio Nava, love that kid. Um, I think he's got more, he's got good weapons. He's got a bit of comfort on clay. I still don't believe in Greggy Barrer. I think I made that clear on the dirt. Underdog price point looks good for me on that. I, and much of the same being that you faded RCB. I want to fade Munar with Kokonakis. I know Kokonakis is not, a clay quarter, but with a bit of altitude and even money here. And Munar has been like, we talked about uh, RCB not being the greatest. How about Kwame Munar, Jauma, whatever he pronounce, however he pronounces it. He's been pretty bad, man. Like Real he bad. lost to Matteo Arnaldi straight sets. Rublev, he took a set off of then got absolutely smacked. He needed three sets to beat Marc-Andrea Huesler in non-altitude clay. Lost to Andrea Vavasori, who has talent, but is very erratic, plays an odd serve in volley styles, more of a challenger player. He barely, like, he he beats Elliot Bonchetri by one break in each set. Like, he was minus 1,000 in that match. Loses to Gestaut. Elias, where, what has he done that's remotely impressive of late? Like, he has been downright pretty poor um, so far in clay season. You get Kokonakis and the serve is going to get him far more free points in this altitude. 
I don't mind it at even money. I mean, I, of course, I'd like, you know, I, I was hoping for a plus 110, plus 125, but I think the numbers justify a play even at even money um, on Kokonakis. And then I'm going to be betting Martin Landaluce. I love his first serve. Uh, I love the altitude here uh, for him to take it over. He's now, he granted, he's hasn't won much, but he has kept some decent challenger players close to the challenger tour level. I'd be keeping an eye on it. Uh, I, I do think Gasquet is a great player and he's probably going to teach him a lesson in the end. But give me that first serve for the kid. It's going to be like a primetime match. I think he's last on. Um, at least he's like the last scheduled men's uh, match for the day. He's going to have uh, kind of the, the crowd behind him. He's got a very nice game. And the over isn't unreasonable for me, uh, especially in the altitude. And I think he does find plenty of service holds. And it's only at 19 and a half. And it's a little expensive at minus 115, but still worth it for me. I, I think that's a nice um, play as well. And then Ugo Umber on clay. I'll back him. I'll back him. He's plus 170. Absolutely. Like we're at altitude. And he's he's it's not like Rusuvori is some clay court aficionado. Probably an over is actually the, the over is probably a decent look there. Over two and a half sets. They went to uh, five at the French. They went to five at the French last year. Right. Like these guys are are both incredibly erratic. They both play low margin tennis. They both play power tennis. They like to be, you know, win games behind their serves. You know, it's going to both are going to have their power awarded a bit more in these conditions over two and a half sets over games, dog money line uh, on the Umber match. I don't mind at all. Oh, then the Wednesday stuff. Um, I do like we talked about the Krajinovich match already. I do like um, Huesler to to push Gadeen. Yeah, I think I don't know if we talked about this last week. I don't know if I mentioned like I just Gadeen has a lot of wins. And I'm so thoroughly unimpressed by almost all of them. Like, I mean, Marco Topo had a uh, three love down. And honestly, he had so many chances. There was one game in that second set. He was down a break. We could have pushed the over if he just stayed down one break. He had eight game points before Garin had a, a, a break point to find that double break. Like, very close against Zizou Bergs. Loses to Etcha very badly. Gets crushed by Runa. You haven't really beaten anyone that great on the surface you've beaten them on. Huesler at altitude has shown he can play in altitude clay. He's not a clay quarter, but he's not horrible on it either. Like he's not like Henry Squire or like some other serve bots. It's plus 250-ish. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm screaming over here. I'm screaming dog money line. I uh, plus 285 at Pinnacle. <laughs> like yeah, no, that, I, that is steep. I'm with you on that one. It's like I've only made one bet, and that I took Huesler. I took the games. I know you're a dog guy. I'm more of a games guy. And like with Huesler's serve, I'm like, I think he's going to be able to hold serve quite a bit. And with this court surface favoring servers, I don't see why I shouldn't be taking the four. I was like, I looked at the plus one and a half sets. But I have more trust in just the court favoring Huesler serve. So I took the four games. I am not opposed to taking the money line at plus 265. You said you saw it at plus 285. Uh-huh. And then, like, if you even watch that match against Dominic Team last week, he was up a set and at 3 3, and then it got delayed and he played freaking great. And, like, he could have won that match if that didn't carry over the next game or, sorry, the next day. So, I mean, with his aggressiveness on his returns, like Garin's 
serve is pretty weak, which it usually is. I mean, like, I think that it's going to be uh, his return game is going to be pretty dang good um, against Green's serve. And I, I don't know. I just don't see how he's a four game dog on this. I don't even I don't know. I, I got to just take that. The four games not opposed to the money line either. So that that team loss will. really hurt. I was mm. on him against team. And as soon as they stopped oh, for were? darkness, I was like, damn it. This gives team life like this breathes life back into Dami team. And the same thing that was 500 meters of altitude. This is another 150. And the higher up you get, like the tougher it can be to keep the, the balls in play because the thin air can, can have you sail balls long. But this guy is someone who's won challengers in Mexico at even more extreme altitude. So this is kind of his sweet spot. If he's going to play a clay court, he's o- he only really has a ton of success or any success at all for me anyway, with his game style, in a bit of altitude. That's what he's got here. And we're getting Garin, who's got a lot of match wins this year, but some of them are thoroughly unimpressive. And I think you've got a lot of quantitative people out there and a lot of books and a lot of guys in the market thinking, oh, well, Garin's put up this record. And there's mm-hmm. it just lacks a bit of context. And so you're getting a big overvaluation. He opened minus 250. He's up to like minus 350 now. The market is betting him because I think you're looking at uh, clay court records in the past. I don't know if you're factoring in altitude. You're looking at records this year. I don't know if you're factoring that Garin doesn't have that many impressive wins. I think there's a great chance here um, to to figure out. And even his losses, like that Sitsi Pass loss in Miami, was just not a good loss, dude. That's a loss he never should have been, a match he never should have been losing. Uh, and he did. So uh, even some of the losses are pretty damn bad. So it, I do think that there's room for Hughesler here. Overs, uh, a first set over, minus 110 on a 9.5. I don't mind losing that bet if he wins at 6-3 because then I've got a guarantee on the overs or the money line um, to come in down the road, right? So I do think uh, this is one of those stacks for me where, look, Gadding's probably the better player. Hughes was not the most natural clay quarter, but you, you contextualize the situation, the information we have. This is just mispriced enough that I, I'm okay losing two and a half, three, three and a half, four units on this match spread over uh, several bets because I, I do think that this is a much closer match than the prices indicate. What about attacking some of these totals uh, and tiebreak bets? Uh, we know that you know the serve is going to play up here. The Kakanaka's Munar match, you're at plus 145 for there to be a tiebreak. I mean, that's... I, I actually think Munar plays a, a fair amount of tiebreaks himself. Uh, for being a, a, a the the clay the clay guy here, um, I think that's a a fantastic bet. I almost, I, I well one I think Kakanakis is going to hold serve a ton, and I think Munar is probably going to hold serve. Uh, so at plus one forty five, will there be a tiebreak? I love that. Um, and same with the the Poprin Halis match. Yeah, that's a pick. That same too. Yeah, that's that's the one I wanted to talk about. That's a pick for a tie break. The over in Kakanakis Munar set one is nine and a half at minus 120. Kind of like that as well. What about Cressy versus Warinka? Cressy's been bad. That's what I wanted to hit on, yeah. But he's at plus three. I mean, this could be a, a two tie break match. They even have it juiced at minus 135 for a tie break. So they're even thinking a tie break is going to play. Um, now you can get screwed with one break, but I do think this week is a week where, where game spreads are are a pretty good luck because I think we're going to see a lot of a lot of tie breaks. Yeah, compared to tradition, compared to week after week on this clay 
season. You know, there's a plus 550 over one and a half tie breaks in Cressy Vavrinka. I, I, I get that, you know, one break can sink you. It's just, I don't trust Vavrinka's return game in general. And then you throw in some altitude, then you throw in a massive server. It's just going to be a matter of just Cressy double fault two to three times in a singular game. If he does, then a break probably happens, right? But man, these two should be firing holds of serve off left, right, and center. The over one and a half at minus 138 or minus 135. If if you have that plus five fifty for over two and a half tie breaks, I don't hate that. I I think I give Cressy a little, I I give him a little too much respect uh, potentially here, but in this particular matchup, I think I'm going to go back to the well and try and back him in. You know the 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 tie break bets and the set over bets, maybe even a little sprinkle on a money line, something like that. I just I don't trust Stan to return against him in altitude uh, in this spot. You mentioned the Potvin Hollies match is a match you want to talk about. Yeah, that that's another uh, set over one. I think uh, which would be nice. The problem with that one is the market. I mean, that opens at bet three six five. The nine and a half opens at a dollar fifty seven. I think that's um, let me get my betting converter up here. But that opened at minus one seventy five. It's minus two fifty now. Like that one was pounded down. Um, you know, you're over ten and a half opens plus one seventy five down to plus one twenty. Your tie break. Opens plus two seventy five. It's down to plus one seventy five. Although Pinnacle's still hanging at plus two thirty. So if you line shop, it's annoying that Bet three six five had their number crushed. But Pinnacle's, you know, they opened plus one or plus two forty. It's plus two thirty for the tiebreak there. I I don't hate that. I don't hate Halip up here in first set tiebreak at well over plus two hundred. I don't mind Holly's money line at minus one fifty nine. I see. I I just feel like he's going to generate more break points than Popperin. Um, I mean, we, I would, uh, he should have probably beat my guy Molchan last week. Molchan gets it out in the end, but he generates a lot of break points, uh, for, for someone who known more for his serve. I kind of like, I kind of like that. And then I wanted to talk about the guy we faded with Schwartzman last week with Wu Yabing. Now he's a pretty big dog on the, on these courts that should help him out against Molchan who just had a, a big week was tired now he's got a, tra- a travel spot he's erratic you're looking at plus 225 for someone that should be able to hold serve mm. yeah, but plus Wu, four the problem here is like two or three fold one he looked physically dead in miami and then he comes back he pulls out of monte carlo and then wins four games in barcelona against schwartzman Two, the movement is still so foreign to him on clay, especially like red clay at like any kind of high level. I think he went to a quarter last year in Zagreb, but he had, you know, he went through qualies, beat Jordan Thompson, just, you know, won a a futures event. I think that might've been on green clay. I'm not sure. He, I mean, we're talking about losses to Matthias Bogan, Jason Kubler on red clay last year. This year he's 0-1. He hasn't played enough on it. The, Bounce is still foreign to him. The movement is still foreign to him. The injury concerns are still there. I agree with the market here. They've they've pounded Molchan down from a minus three and a half to minus four game favorite. And I think that's probably right, honestly. I think he's about four games better than, than Wu Yabing on a clay court, even at altitude. Because you're getting a little bit, like your conditions are a bit quicker for Wu's serve. But Molchan's still going to hunt down a lot of balls. And movement and natural feel and, and top spin and all the things that like you're still playing on a clay court you still need or that are still rewarded all favor 
uh, the Slovakian here. So I, I'm probably not going to go with who, especially considering he just, he hasn't looked good physically, you know, one, six, two, six, and two, six in his last three sets. And he pulled out of Monte Carlo in between those three sets. I have to see him look like physically half decent before I can back him. Derek, any final bets? I hate to do this because this guy's our boy, but I'm not really liking McCubler here against Leovich. It's a minus two and a half for Leovich. Um, Obviously, he came off that big tournament win last week. It's his second tournament win ever. Uh, like if you think that he doesn't have any gas left, I mean, he's going to have some gas left for the first round, but, um, these are contrasting styles. Um, Leovich is just going to play defense against this guy and Kubler is pretty damn offensive, but two and a half sets. I, I mean, sorry, two and a half games. I think he'll win in the end. And he's had some success here. It, like last year, I think he beat, let me pull it up. Um, he beat. Casper uh, Rude, I know, right? And somebody else. Let me pull it up. This is what I don't know, man. The plus one thirty-five is pretty telling to me. Yeah. Well, look at think? look at the movement here too, and I don't, I don't like. I'm not someone that's like, oh, the movement is indicative. There could be information that has led to this movement. But you open minus two thirty, and you're down to minus one fifty-five. That is a lot of money on Kubler. I get that the conditions are quicker. I'm actually with Derek here. I don't think that. A long week, unless Lajevic has an injury and there's injury news we're missing. I I don't see a reason for him to go from like a minus 230 to minus 155. He's a more natural clay quarter. Kubler does play a little bit aggressively, but he doesn't have real weapons to hit through Lajevic. I don't think he can rush the one-handed backhand. And again, Lajevic is a natural clay quarter versus Kubler, who's just not. And he's in form. And he's had how many days off? Right? He played his final. And then he's going to have Sunday or his Monday, Tuesday off because that's qualifying. And he has Wednesday off. Three days off between that long week. I, I'm with I'm with Derek here. I, I do like that uh, that line. I don't. There could be a reason for this line movement. So before placing any bets, I would look up, try to find some potential injury news because there could be a reason for it. If there's no injury news here, though, like I think the movement is just wrong. Yeah. So okay. So he beat Rude and Chorch here last year. Ended up losing to her catch. So I mean, he's the more experienced clay quarter. He's comfortable on the surface. Kubler. Not as much clay experience, and he's going to be a little um, uncomfortable out there. So I, I don't know. I, I'm liking Leovich there. I know McCubler's our guy, but you got to go against him sometimes. All right, last one we're going to talk about here because I have to wrap it up to keep the move going. Um, but Mackenzie McDonald is a plus one thirty three, plus one forty three dog to Zapata Morales. Uh, I just think Mackenzie McDonald is probably a better overall tennis player than Burnaby. I, I mean, that's a, a, a nice price uh, for the American, who I think is getting a lot of fade for, for being American, for being an American versus a clay quarter here. Yeah. John, what I do mean, you think? He, he's been, Burnaby's been pretty damn bad since the Golden Swing. Like he beat Enrique Rocha. And Hubie Hercatch, which I was on. I love him for beating Hubie there in Estoril. But uh, lost to Umber at Indian Wells on a slow hard court. Not the best. He lost to Carbaez by in a six-love, three-love retirement. Not great. Seven-five-six-two hammered by Kichmanovic. Mm. 
as a near like a slight, slight dog, he doesn't come close to covering. Ben Bonesy, he's a massive favorite. Ben Bonesy beats him 6-1-7-5 on slow clay. Not great. Bautista Agut, two and two, thumped him. Something's wrong with Bernabe. I don't know if he's back to you know his top physica- uh, physical shape, and I don't know if maybe the forehand's just a little haywire. You beat Attila Balaz 6-2, 6-2. Congratulations. This guy is like 34, coming back, playing big events for paychecks, I think, to like pad his nest egg for his retirement. So uh, <laughs> I give less than zero credit to that win. I, I I don't disagree with you. I think that like Mackey might be a good look here. Like you're fading a guy who doesn't have a ton of weaponry, who doesn't whose game doesn't play up in altitude, who is a natural clay quarter, but has been piss poor on the clay courts. And Mackey gets a little bit more in quicker conditions. That he's this is probably the one clay event you can back him at. As much as I hate Mackey on clay, I'm kind of with you on this. I think this is a decent little spot. Yeah, I mean Zapata obviously has the big win against Hubie uh, in recent uh, on his recent resume, but yeah, man, Mackey, I, I just think is a, a little bit undervalued here. I think he's pretty live, a live dog. We love the live dogs here. Uh, I'm going to play me some Mackie McDonald in this matchup. All right, guys. Well, we've said it all, but we haven't said it all. We've said enough for today. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, unfortunately, probably our only episode this week, uh, but big things on the horizon. We have a, a, a guest next week. Uh, I think we're going to get a YouTube fired up. We're going to get some other things going. Uh, the podcast, uh, while maybe not as routine as I like this week. It ain't going anywhere. Stick around. Please give us a follow on your favorite platform. If you like what you heard, follow John at Jared tweets, tennis, follow Derek at forever's in the goal. Follow us at MP nine tennis until next time. See you on the court.